Hello and good evening. Good evening. My name is Annie Heidershaw. I'm a longtime resident of Howard County. I'm excited to welcome you all to the installation of our installation ceremony of our county executive and the county council. As you know, this year Howard County made history happen in front of our very eyes with the election of the first African-American county executive. who will now lead our great county. And you all, you all made that happen, and you should be proud of that. Welcome back. A lot has happened since our last episode, so I'm going to attempt to catch you up as best I can. The Howard County Council will have all new members after the election of November 6th. However, its party makeup is going to remain the same. It's gonna have four Democrats and one Republican. In fact, that was the December 3rd swearing-in ceremony that you heard in the pre-roll. District 1, which includes Ellicott City, will be represented by Democrat Liz Walsh, who received 61.9% of the vote to defeat Republican Raj Kothuria. Earlier in the year, Walsh was victorious over incumbent John Weinstein in the Democratic primary. Councilman Weinstein was interviewed in an earlier episode of this podcast, episode 6 to be exact. In the other four seats on the council, Incumbents either couldn't run due to term limits or opted for other pursuits. So the new members of the county council will be Democrats Opal Jones, Christina Rigby, Deb Young, and Republican David Youngman. As of this recording, I have not yet had the opportunity to interview any of the new members of the council. So I will not speak to how they feel about the flood mitigation plan that was passed by their predecessors or how they plan to move forward with it in the future. Those are topics for next season in the county executive races. In Anne Arundel County, Democrat Stuart Pittman beat incumbent Republican Steve Shue with 51%. Shue was hoping for a second term. And in Howard County, incumbent Republican Alan Kettleman lost his post to Democrat Calvin Ball, who won there with 52%. One of the largest developments since our last show was the election of Dr. Calvin Ball as Howard County Executive. As you just heard, he unseated Alan Kettleman, who was seeking a second term. I was fortunate enough to interview Mr. Kittleman in a past episode, episode six as well, where we talked about his role in the research, formation, and passage of the current flood mitigation plan. If you haven't listened to it yet, I invite you to do so because he and John Weinstein share some of their reasons why they favor or favored the tough decision to raise 10 buildings in the Ellicott City Historic District. In this, the last episode of the season, I speak with the newly elected Howard County Executive Calvin Ball, and I discuss his vision of the future for Howard County. I met with Executive Ball and his team on November 21st, just two weeks after the election and before his official installation in office. So that's where we are for now. Let's get started. We're counting them on one. Oh my God. Ma'am, what's going on? We are at Dean Hollow in Old Elkin City on Frederick Road. The water is above the doors coming in the building. We need somebody to come in. The first, first thing I remember is like, oh my gosh, the water is up to the balcony on Obla D. Hello? Hi, this is 911. Somebody from this number just called and hung up. Is everybody okay? 
No, there's water in my store. It's flooding in Ellicott City. The threat of a flood had become the new normal on Main Street. The, ne the next, the door, next door won't open. We can't get out the back, and there's a lot of water. It's also We're rolling our dice on a storm by storm basis. Okay, well, are we going to die? Man? Like, just so... No, honey, I'm going to do my best so that does not happen, okay? You want me to stay in the line with you for a minute? Jane? Jane? This is Ellicott City. Historic town, historic water. Okay, well, I'm here with Dr. Calvin Ball, who is the executive-elect uh, of Howard County. Uh, thank you very much for spending some time with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, okay, well, just to start, uh, let's talk about your, briefly, your background in politics. How did you, I know you're right now on the Howard County Council. Uh, when did you get elected? So I started appointed uh, April of 2006 and then was elected in November of 2006 and then appointed, uh, selected by my peers to be chairman in December of 2006. And I am humbled to have been the youngest person ever elected chairman of the Howard County Council in history. Wow. With now, have you always aspired to be in politics? Well, I always wanted to serve. I always wanted to make our community a better place. Um, and really have an impact. And so I did a lot of volunteer work. I worked on our community village board. And when I saw an opportunity to serve on the county council and be a representative and a voice to the people, I was very blessed to have that chance in 2006. Okay, well, as you know, I've been doing a podcast on Ellicott City and the flooding and the mitigation plan and, and everything. And so what I always ask people, especially those who uh, are very much involved in the process uh, about the floods themselves first. So um, can you tell us where you were in July of 2016 and how you found out about the flooding and your experience? So in July of 2016, I was actually serving as uh, chairman of the county council. And I remember that night, the rains just continued and um, I was in Columbia after an event, and the rivers were going higher than I usually see them, and I was getting very concerned about just our neighbors around the county. And then I realized through more and more information that Ellicott City was in danger, and the council member representing that district was actually out of the country. And so we were trying to pull together and ensure that everyone was alerted and uh, see what we could do. And uh, I'll just never forget the um, panic with some people and the importance of us pulling together. So after, and I understand that the, the actually both floods, the, the water, unlike some of the ones in the past, like say Agnes, you know, there was no really standing water. It just kind of went through Main Street, went through the historic district pretty quickly and it was then gone away uh, and left a lot of rubble in its wake. What was the feeling of the council right after that, the 2016 flood? I mean, how, 
was there an idea of, uh, I know that there were some studies uh, to mitigate flooding in Howard County before then. But uh, tell me a little bit about the feeling of the council and yourself after, right after the 2016 flood. Well, I remember there was a lot of conversation in 2014 and 2015 about flood mitigation projects, uh, stormwater remediation. The election before 2014, there were a lot of people who ran against the rain tags. And, you know, there, was, there wasn't, I think there was a, we were at a crossroads of conversation about how important it was to commit resources and energy toward um, addressing the needs given our changing environment. And I think we were getting to a place where many in the community recognized the importance. However, I think our funding and our resources and our focus wasn't quite there leading up to the 2016 flood. And I think afterward, it was important for us to start really coming together and recognizing how we can assess what happened and how people begin to heal. Well, from what I can gather, uh, the town really rallied and uh, put together the EC Strong campaign and, and some people, a lot of shopkeepers came back. Uh, and it really was a success story um, from what I can see. And I, I, I laud everybody involved in that because it, it certainly seemed like a monumental task. And then unfortunately, uh, May of this year, 2018, came along and the same thing happened or a similar thing happened. So could you tell me about your experiences then? Well, I think um, 2018 revealed that there were a lot of things under uh, the surface that maybe should have had a little bit more focus. I think, you know, after talking with some people in 2018 about 2016, some of them said that they felt rushed, um, that they felt there was more of a focus on the aesthetics as opposed to the infrastructure. I want to stop here for a short moment to talk about sound. I do all of my recording on location, not in the studio. And I've been very lucky while capturing audio for this series to have had some very favorable conditions with which to work. During this interview, however, the HVAC system cut on in the middle of the conversation in the conference room we were using. So I did have to drop a few minutes of this segment. And if there are times that Executive Ball sounds like he's underwater, it's because his voice was altered by the noise reduction software I'm using to try to remove some of that sound. So your headphones and your speakers are not malfunctioning. I just need to buy a studio. So anyway, back to the interview. So as the listeners of this podcast know, your predecessor in your elected position now of county executive, uh, Alan Kittleman and John Weinstein, who have both been on the show, presented a flood mitigation plan. And part of that plan ha uh, suggested or recommended or actually was, I guess, part of the plan was to remove 10 buildings that are on a historic district on the south side of Main Street, lower Main Street. I went to a few of the council meetings, especially the one where it, the funding passed, and you and another council member of the five uh, had dissenting votes. Now, since then, you've been elected as county executive. The county council has 
turned over completely, if I'm not mistaken. There will be five new members to that council. So I know this is, you know, very, you haven't even taken office yet. And so I, I rather, I imagine it would be unfair of me to ask you to tell me what you're going to do definitively. But do you have a feeling about where things might go from here as opposed to the direction it was headed pre-election? So Ellicott City is an immediate priority. And I think the, the people, the residents, the business owners, those who care about Ellicott City are at the top of my mind. And during the deliberations about the plan uh, from Mr. Kittleman and Mr. Weinstein, I had concerns about the investment of $50 million in a plan that would take five years and even at the end of those five years would leave between four to six feet of floodwater uh, going down Main Street. I had concerns about a process where we went outside of the normal budget process and they recommended even taking money from the Route 1 fire station. Um, and I think that we should be investing in our fire stations and in, in public safety to ensure that you know we are cognizant of response time and we think about those things throughout the entire county. So I was concerned about pitting the public safety of one community against the public safety of another. Um, we knew that there were challenges of flooding along Main Street before the 2018 flood. And I wish that there would have been more investment before that conversation. However, that said, I think that we should um, invest in the upstream remediation. There are projects in the queue that should move forward immediately. I think that um, the safety should be a priority for Main Street. I also want to make sure that as we're saving Ellicott City, we think about the historic nature and the character and the things that make it a special destination. And I think that you know, we need to, as a community, come together uh, around a shared plan that makes it so that this is an elegant city that has its best days ahead of it and that we all feel good about what we did here today uh, in the next generation. One final question, and, and I, I will uh, take any answer for this one. Um, I know there are some people who have mentioned uh, that tunnel boring, and they thought that that alternative wasn't investigated enough, and then there's some who say it's too expensive. Do you have any opinion about that yet? So and as the current plan stands, after five years, as I indicated, five to six feet of flood water. If tunnel boring were to be something that would be faster, cost more cost effective to the taxpayers, and actually remediate more of the flood water, I think that that's something that we should strongly consider. I have heard from some that it was evaluated. I've heard from others that it wasn't evaluated seriously. I've talked with some who are uh, claimed to be familiar with tunnel boring who say, you know, look, if we were to t uh, bore a couple tunnels and do it the right way, it would be faster and more cost effective. And that's something, frankly, that I'd like to explore more as soon as I become county executive. 
Okay. Well, Dr. Ball, I'd like to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to, to speak to me and, and put a little cap on this story for now. Is there anything else that you'd like to leave listeners with before you step into office? Just that we have so much work to do. We're going to do it as a community, and we are going to make things so much better for the next generation, but we're only going to be able to do it if we do it together. Okay. Well, thank you very much, and congratulations. I forgot to tell you that. <laughs> I appreciate that. All right. That. Bye-bye. So that's about it for this first season of the podcast. I'm recording this last segment on December 26th, the day after Christmas. So with five days left in 2018, where do things stand? Well, officially, the flood mitigation plan that Alan Kittleman and John Weinstein introduced four months ago on August 23rd is still approved. And as you just heard, Executive Ball said that he wanted to keep the upstream infrastructure projects on track but he wants to review the other aspects of the plan, which I have to assume include the raising of the buildings along Lower Main Street. However, a spokesman from his office said last week that the executive wants his staff to continue good faith negotiations with the property owners, believing that it would be, quote, unjust to leave property owners in the lurch, end quote. In another new development, Don Rauer, a developer who, with Joe Rudder co-owns the building where T on the Tiber once operated. We've talked about T on the Tiber in several previous episodes. He said that he'd rather save the building, which is one of the 10 buildings proposed for demolition, than to, quote, see the money, which is the money slated for acquisition, go to fix the sidewalks along Main Street. Rauer said that he would also be in favor of moving the building stone by stone instead of raising it. And we also talked about that uh, plan in episode six. And it was recently reported by the Baltimore Sun that the developer, Rauer, said that he had asked the county to consider his reconstruction as opposed to the acquisition of that building. But he also said that if keeping the building conflicts with the overall vision for the district, he would let the county acquire it. So as you can see, this story is far from over. And I'll do my best to bring you more information next year with Season 2. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or on SoundCloud or Spotify or wherever you listen to this podcast so that you can get the latest episode the day they are released. Ellicott City, Historic Town, Historic Water is a production of the Fletcher Group Incorporated in collaboration with the Number One Two podcast. Some of the music in this episode and previous episodes was supplied by purpleplanet.com. Original compositions were graciously provided by Gordon Roberts. Our exit track is the rain song written and performed by Voices 3. I'm Howard R. Fletcher. Thank you for listening. Have a happy and prosperous 2019. Bye-bye.